Take your Bibles to the book of Jude, right near the end of the Bible, before Revelation 1 chapter, Jude. And as you know, if you've been with us Sunday nights, we're preaching our way through the book of Jude. And so we continue here. We're going to start tonight with verse 14. Again, Jude, verse number 14. If we can read that together, reading out loud, have a word of prayer, and then look into what God has for us. Let's read together verse number 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the blessings. Thank you, Lord, for the good fellowship of God's people. Thank you, Lord, for these hymns that we can sing. And now, Lord, we thank you that we can open up your word and have the Spirit of God again challenge your hearts. Help us. I pray that you direct each word that's said. May we have an understanding of what was written so long ago. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know that we've been looking here at the book of Jude. I've said it's no accident that it's the second last book of the Bible. The last book is Revelation. Revelation talks about the fact the Lord's coming back. And uh, we know there will be seven years of tribulation, and the uh, Lord returns, sets up a millennial reign. That's the last book. The book of Jude, right before Revelation, it tells us what the world is going to be like just before the Lord comes back. And it tells us specifically what will happen in churches just before the Lord comes back. When we got there to Jude, verse 3, Jude said that he was planning to write about the common salvation, but God changed his direction. And that's one more confirmation that the scriptures are inspired by God. Some folks have the notion that the Bible was written by men of what they were personally dealing with. No, 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 no. Jude was going one way and the Spirit of God directed him another way. Verse number four, he warns. Again, in churches, just before the Lord comes back, that there will people be that make their way into churches. And what they'll try to do is turn those churches, change those churches. And here we find in the book of Jude that Jude says, when that happens in your church, that's not the time to lay down and die and let it happen. At the end of verse number three, he says that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Don't let it happen. Stand up and stop it. And so that's the warning that we see over and over again. Last week, we were in verse 12 and 13. And last week, we saw five word pictures that describe these that would like to change a church. He described them as spots. Well, the last thing, sir, on your shirt, that you, a white shirt, that you uh, would ever want is a spot. Ladies, on that beautiful white tablecloth that you bring out one time in the year, the last time you want is a spot because it doesn't fit in. It stands out. It's different. These that want to turn a church, they're spots, Jude said. Jude said that they're also like clouds, but they can never deliver water. They're like a tree that has no fruit. They're like a raging wave that's always stirring something up, 
And finally, they're like a wandering star. You can't count on them. You can't depend upon them. They will lead you, but they'll lead you astray. That's what we saw in verse 12 and 13. Preacher, what are we looking at today? Today we're looking at verse 14 and verse 15. After Jude has spent 13 verses in warning us about these people that would like to change a church, look what he says in verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. Now, if you read this verse too quick, you will think that verse 14 says, Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things. There's no things in there. It said that he prophesied of these. Well, consistently, these has always referred to the ones that would change a church. Look back there in verse number 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers. Look there in verse number 10. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know. Look there in verse number 12. These are spots in your feast of charity. So when it says in verse 14 that Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, Enoch thousands and thousands of years before Jude wrote, Enoch talked about these that would like to change what the work of God is supposed to be. And so we're going to have a look at that tonight. And, and uh, really what uh, Jude is saying is, if your church is going through trouble, remember Enoch. If your church is facing strife, Remember Enoch. So if you're taking notes, my title is Church, Remember Enoch. Church, Remember Enoch. Now, at first, it would seem odd that Jude, in the midst of this warning to local churches just before the Lord comes back, it would seem odd that Jude would raise up this character named Enoch Enoch didn't live in Jude's time. Enoch didn't live during the time of the apostles. Enoch did not live during the public ministry of Christ. Enoch lived before Noah's flood. Enoch lived between the time of Adam and the time of Noah. Why, the world would say, on earth would Jude reach back 3,000 years to pull up a character that's 3,000 years past. And maybe the better question is, why would you and I now in 2024, why would we look back 5,000 years at someone named Jude? How is this man Jude possibly going to help us as a church and any other church? that is going through the very things that Jude warns of. So again, the title tonight is Church Remember Enoch. Jude was convinced if a church that is under attack would just remember Enoch, that'll help him. Well, let's see. Let's see how it could help you and I again. Look at verse 14. 
Jude verse 14, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam. I've already mentioned that Enoch lived in the Old Testament. I've already mentioned that Enoch lived before Noah's flood. I've already mentioned that Enoch lived in that time between Adam and Noah. Do you know, this gives us uh, a little more detail of Enoch's time. For it says, Enoch also the seventh from Adam. Preacher, what does that even mean? Keep your hand in Jude. We're going to need it all night. But look there in Genesis chapter number 5. Genesis chapter number 5. Do you know that uh, in Genesis 5, we're given a uh, generation of Adam. In other words, Adam and Adam's son and Adam's son, son and son, son, son. So we're really giving the, given the family tree way back in the early parts of this world. There in Genesis chapter 5. And verse number one, there's the book of the generations of Adam. So Adam is the first generation. Well, after Adam, look there, if you would, in verse number three. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Seth is the second generation of people on this earth. Look there, if you would, in verse number six. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. Now, I need you to notice, that's not Enoch. That's Enos. Enos represents the third generation. Uh, look there in uh, verse number 9. It says, and Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. So Canaan represents the fourth generation of people on this earth after Adam. Look there, if you would, in uh, verse number 12. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalel. And so this Mahalalel represents the fifth generation, verse number 15. And Mahalalel lived 60 and five years and begat Jared. So Jared is the sixth generation of people that were on this earth. And finally, verse 18. Verse number 18, and Jared lived 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. Enoch is the seventh generation of people that were on this earth from the time that Adam was created. So Enoch represented the seventh generation. Adam was the first, Enoch was the seventh. That's what Jude meant when Jude said, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam. Now, while your hands are still in Genesis, do you know that God only gives us three chapters that describe the events from when Adam was kicked out of the garden, Genesis 3, until Noah's flood, Genesis chapter 6, uh, 7. So the only, there's only three chapters that describe that period of time between Adam kicked out and that flood. It's Genesis 4 and Genesis 5 and Genesis 6. Now, I'm just trying to give you some background. Again, we're looking at church. Remember, Enoch, if you would write this down, every church that's under attack should remember Enoch's setting. I didn't even give you S's tonight. Should remember Enoch's setting. Well, Enoch belonged in that time between Adam and Noah. That period of time was almost 2,000 years. And so Enoch lives in this time almost 2,000 years now. Folks, that's not a coincidence because you and I live in a dispensation of time that's almost 2,000 years. 
It's more than just a coincidence that Jude reached back and picked this man, Enoch, just as he lived in a dispensation, a period of time that was almost 2,000 years, so do we. Now, in his dispensation of time, he was the seventh generation. If you went all the way to Noah, you would get a tenth generation. There was only ten generations of people before the flood. Because this man, Enoch, was the seventh, that meant Enoch was much closer to the end of his dispensation than Enoch was to the beginning of his dispensation. Let me follow that so far. Just want to keep you awake. Don't want you to do the sleeping now. I'm saying to you that when a church goes through problems, Jude said, church, remember Enoch. First of all, remember Enoch's setting. He is in a period of time that's very similar in its length to our period of time. He was closer to the end of his period of time than he was to the beginning. Isn't it true that you and I are far closer to the end of our dispensation? Folks, then it was pre-flood. Now we're living in pre-rapture. We would call this the church age. Enoch was the pre-flood age, if I can be very general. It might be that in Enoch's pre-flood age, at the very beginning of that period, people really wanted God. I'll give you a verse that suggests that. Look there, if you would, in Genesis chapter number 4. Genesis 4, look at verse 26. Genesis 4, 26. Now, we know that Adam gave birth. His third son was Seth. We find that in verse 25. Look there in Genesis 4, 26. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. That's the beginning of that period, that pre-flood period. I'm saying at the beginning of that pre-flood period. There was an interest in God. It says, then begin men to call upon the name of the Lord. But you know, at the very end of that pre-flood period, very few were looking for God. Very few had a desire for God. Very few were seeking God because they were so enamored with the flesh and with their desires and with sin. Let me show you that there in Genesis 6. Again, Genesis 4, 5, and 6 are the only record we have of that almost 2,000 years. At the beginning of that, there was an interest in God. At the end of that almost 2,000 years, would you look there at, uh, uh, make it verse number 5. Genesis 6, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So at the beginning of that pre-flood, almost 2,000, yes, there, there was a, a great interest in the things of God. Folks, they'd just, been, they'd just been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They, they, they had just uh, lost perfection, if you would. They still wanted God. But I'll tell you, by the end of that period of time before the flood, 
very few wanted God. Now, take those truths to you and I today. Folks, we're living in the church age. And in the church age, it's probably true that right at the beginning of this church age, there was a great interest in God. You find there in the early chapters of Acts, I mean, the Lord had just died and buried and rose again and sent it back to heaven, and there was a great interest in spiritual things. But folks, we're not at the beginning of the church age anymore. We're almost at the end of it. In fact, we're going to hear the trumpet any moment. <laughs> we're almost at the end, just like Enoch was far closer to the end than the beginning. And there just is not that great of an interest in the things of God. Folks, we're banging on doors like a door-banging machine. We're handing out gospel tracts like a gospel track handing out machine. We're holding up scripture signs like a scripture sign holding up machine. People are not banging in the front doors to get into church. That's exactly the way it was in Enoch. I see the first thing, church, remember Enoch's setting. Because so many of the things that churches are going through now, that's exactly matches what Enoch was going through in his day. Again, it was no coincidence that Jude reached back to find this man, Enoch. I say the very first thing, every church under attack should remember Enoch's setting. He lived near the end of his dispensation. And he stood in a time when very few wanted God. So therefore, if a church seems to be going through such tremendous opposition, Pastor, why is it that just, there, there's just such a... It's just like Enoch. Remember Enoch's setting. i give you a second thing. A second thing. Look there, in, since you're still in Genesis 5, Genesis 5, verse 21. Genesis 5, verse 21. The Bible says there, And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. Do you know, as you read Genesis 5, there is a repeated pattern that happens ten times through. It, it talks about this man was born. It talks about this man lived so many years, and then, then he had a son. And after he had a son, then he lived this many more years, and then he died, and then it starts again. The next man, he was born, and he lived so many years until he had a son, and then he lived so many years after that, and then he died. Do you know, as you read Genesis chapter 5, it's the same. It's just different names, but it's the same. The record, what's the record? The record is just going around and around and around again, except for one man. Genesis chapter 5, here, and we just read it in verse 21. The Bible says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. It starts exactly like all the ones before. Here a man, he lives so many years, then he has a son. But what's different about Enoch is verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. It doesn't say that about any of the rest of them in Genesis 5. You know, the indication was that Enoch just lived his own life for the first 65. He did what he wanted to do. 
he went where he wanted to go. He talked what he wanted to say. He just ran his own life. But something happened at 65 years of age. I say, preacher, we already know what happened. It says there, uh, verse 21, Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. How would his begatting, how would he and his wife birthing a boy into this world, how could that possibly make a difference in this man's life? It's what the name Methuselah means. That name Methuselah means when he dies, it shall come. They didn't name that boy Methuselah because that was a great, I was going to say great aunt, great uncle's name. No, no, no. They, they didn't name Methuselah because that's grandfather's middle name. No, 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 no. No one had been named Methuselah before. Somehow God had instructed this man Enoch, when your son is born, I want you to name him Methuselah. Okay. What does that mean, God? <laughs> When he dies, it shall come. It. What's it? We don't have time to run the numbers, but you know, the year that that boy died, the flood came. And the rest of the world was destroyed by flood. And as that truth began to sink into the heart of Enoch, he realized this life is more than just living it up, partying, doing your own thing, and one day breathing your last breath in the barrier. He realized at the birth of that son, by what the name of that son meant, that there's something that's far more important than living and having a fun time and dying. There's coming a judgment. And better get ready. Isn't it true that for everyone in this age, there should be that kind of a decision in their life? It's called salvation. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That supernatural change that took place in Enoch, it ought to be true that it's taken place in each one of our lives. It's called being born again. It's called being redeemed. And if it hasn't happened in your life yet, it needs to. But it's not just that Enoch had a day in his life where there was a transformation that took place. That transformation, that change, lasted the rest of his life. It wasn't like he had a religious experience one particular day, and then he went back to his same old kind of life. Look at it here again in Genesis 5, verse 22. The Bible says, And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah, 300 years and uh, begat sons and daughters. In other words, when that supernatural transformation took place in Enoch, he didn't revert back to the old life. He didn't go back to the same old thing, the same old desires, the same old agenda, the same old plan. 
this was a different man from that point forward. Hold on, that, that kind of transformation didn't happen to everybody else. So he had to live this transformed, changed life in a world that wasn't transformed and in a world that wasn't changed. Could I say secondly, not only does the Jude say, church, remember Enoch's setting. You're taking notes. Secondly, remember Enoch's spiritual inclination. Here's a man that lived in a world that didn't care about God, but he cared about God. He could look to the day when his life was changed. Now, your life and it being changed likely wasn't attached to the birth of a child. But you know, sometimes God uses traumatic things to get our attention, to realize that this life is more than eat, drink, and be merry. For some, it's, it's the loss of a job. For some, it's the loss of a child. For some, it's the, uh, a, a downturn in finances. Uh, for, for some, it's a financial crunch. I'm saying Enoch got off pretty easy because it wasn't a bad thing that got his attention. It was a good thing. It was the birth of a son. But you know what? From that point forward, he realized, I'm going to be different from the rest of this world. I'm not going to be the same. I'm not going to fit in with the rest of the world. And I'm okay with that. Remember, this is the person that Jude mentioned. And Jude said, when your church goes through this crisis of some voices in the church want to change that old-fashioned church, and they wanted to make it less offensive to the world and more palatable to the world, you better remember Enoch's spiritual inclination. He didn't care what the world cared for. He didn't want what the world wanted. That wasn't what he was gunning for. That wasn't what he was shooting for. Again, it ought to be true that you and I can each look to a day when that supernatural transformation happened to us. Again, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And uh, that supernatural change isn't just something that lasts for a day. It ought to be true that you want different than what the world wants. And you are listening for a different voice than this world listening to. I'm saying, secondly, Jude is saying that when the church is under attack by enemies within the church that want to bring in change, their agenda is to make the church more like the world, to make the church more pleasing to the world. But for believers like Enoch, we don't really care what the world wants. We're not interested in pleasing the world. We're interested in pleasing God. Folks, I know that you wouldn't believe it, but we've had people through the 33 years of this church tell me face to face, Pastor, if you'd stop all this preaching, 
we might be able to get more people to come. Preacher, if we just stop all this old-fashioned hymn stuff, we might be able to get more people to come. Pastor, if we just had less <laughs> requirements, if you would, maybe more people would come. It would just be less offensive to this world, and, and, and they'd like it more. It's, forgive me. We are not trying to purposely be offensive to the world, but we're not trying to make this church worldly friendly. Oh, we're welcoming the world to come, but we're not intending to bring the church down to the level of this world. We're trying to bring those that are in this world to get to this place where they are saved, to get to the place now where they live every day different, and where they care for the things of God. So when there is this attempt in a church to change it, Jude said, remember Enoch's setting. It was just like, it was just like Enoch's setting. He was near the end of his dispensation, and few people had an interest in the things of God. And then he said, remember Enoch's spiritual inclination. He wasn't inclined to live like the world. There was something in him that drew him to a different direction. That ought to be true for us. I give you a third thing. And uh, just for the record, I have four. So we are making great headway. Uh, look there back in the book of Jude, if you would. Again, if you've still kept it, you're in good shape. If not, right before Revelation, the book of Jude. So we've said, first of all, church, a church that's under attack, remember Enoch's setting. He lived near the end of his dispensation, and he stood in a time where few wanted God. Secondly, remember Enoch's spiritual inclination. He walked with God. His interest wasn't to fit into the world. It wasn't his interest. His interest was to please God. I give you the third thing. Look there in Jude, verse 14. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied. We don't use that word prophecy very much. In the Bible, that word prophesy or prophecy, that word has two different meanings. Sometimes prophesying is for uh, foretelling uh, the future, uh, telling what's going to happen in the future. But other times, the word prophesying, you and I would say preaching. You know, in Enoch's day, when very few had a desire for the things of God, do you know what Enoch just did? He just preached. He just preached. And I'm sure that uh, not all the world was coming to where he held church. So he went out to where the world was. And he preached. And I'm saying, could I give you a third thing? When, when there's an attack upon a church, third thing, remember Enoch's sermons. <laughs> that's how he dealt with the church, or that's how he dealt with the world. He just preached. He said, well, listen, I, I know what you want. That's not what God wants. He told them. He made it very clear that thus saith the Lord, Say, preacher, really? Well, let's read the rest of that. Jude, verse 14. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. Now, there's a comma there, so look at verse 15. He's preaching. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, 
and all of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against. That's just preaching. You say, well, that didn't sound like very nice preaching. He wouldn't, he wouldn't worry about being nice. Folks, we're in a day and age. Do you understand this world doesn't like preaching? <laughs> they don't, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. You know what this world thinks about what we're doing right now? It's craziness. Those people go to that church and sing those songs. Maybe that makes sense. But then they listen to that guy stand at the front and just tell them what for. And just, just rant and rave and, and scold. And why do they keep going back? To, you understand the world just doesn't understand preaching. The world not only hates preaching, but the world hates preachers. <laughs> so, no. They do. They hate preaching. They hate preachers. So when a preacher stands up and says he must be born again, your life is not acceptable to God. You must be born again. This world hates that. Do you know when a preacher stands up and says to those that are saved, you have to die to yourself, to your wants and to your wishes, you have to bury that flesh. Well, the world hates that. A lot of Christians hate that. They don't like that kind of preaching. Do you know when a preacher stands up and says you've got to quit your cussing and quit your drinking and quit your gambling? Well, do you know what the cussers think of that? They hate it. Do you know what the drinkers think of that? They hate it. Do you know what the gamblers think? They hate it. Uh, do you know when a preacher gets up and says don't let a day pass without spending time with God? The people that don't spend time with God each day hate that preaching. And do you know when a preacher stands up and says it's the duty of every believer to get the gospel out? People hate that. And yet in spite of the fact that Enoch lived in a time where very few wanted God, just like our time, man, he just kept preaching. He just kept preaching, God bless him. Listen, folks, some people have this idea when there's difficulty in a church, why don't, we just, why don't we just ease up on the preaching? Why don't we just, you know, have more of a friendly attitude, like a hug them and kiss them and smooch them? And, uh, Patrick, would, don't you think it would be better if you just tone down just a bit of this stuff about sin and God hates sin? Enoch didn't think so. Boy, he just let her rip. <laughs> he just preached. And I'm saying to you that Jude is saying, when a church is going through difficulties and there are influences upon that church, some within, some without, that now's the time to pull back on the reins just a bit and bigger smile and Jude says, just preach just like Enoch just preached. Now, look at the things he preached on. I'd have you notice there, uh, look there in verse number 14. Pastor, what kind of things did this Jude preach on? Uh, first of all, there in verse number 14, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh. Do you know some of Jude's preaching was, or sorry, Enoch's preaching rather, is the Lord's coming back. 
Folks, that's great preaching. We need to be reminded that the Lord's coming back. No matter what's happening in this world or what's happening in your world, it's always good to be reminded that the Lord's coming back. So some of his preaching was the Lord's coming back. Second thing, look there in verse number 15. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all their ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners... You know, the second thing he preached on? Ungodliness. Boy, did he like that word ungodly. <laughs> Sometimes people kid a preacher and say, you know what, you've got a couple words you always say. Guess what couple words he always said? Ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. I wonder if somebody there said, do you have any other words in your vocabulary? No, just ungodly. That was his preaching. So he preached on the Lord coming back. He preached on ungodliness. Uh, not only did he preach on those two things, but uh, look there again on verse 15. It says to execute judgment. He, he talked about the coming judgment. He talked about the fact that, listen, it's more than this life. One of these days you're going to stand before a holy God and uh, there will be a judgment to come. And you say, well, preacher, I, I, don't mind, I don't mind preaching about the return of the Lord. And pastor, I, I don't mind hearing preaching against ungodliness. And pastor, I don't mind preaching about the fact that there will be a judgment to come. There was a fourth subject that Enoch preached. And it's tucked in there. Look at verse 14. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. That word these traces it back to verse 8 and verse 10 and verse 12. These that would like to turn God's people back to the world. He preached on these, not these things that we've covered. He preached on these people that want you to somehow tone it down in your faith and tone it down in your walk with God. He had four subjects that he covered and he covered it well. I think there are some people that hated him. I think he knew it. But he knew that that was the kind of preaching that was necessary. And Jude, 3,000 years later, Jude said, when in your churches there are voices that want to somehow tone down this living for God and, and, and tone down this holy lifestyle and this righteousness, and they want to make your church just more like the world. He said, you better remember Enoch. And the third thing is church. Remember Enoch's sermons. Preaching. Just preaching. Do you know, Paul said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Folks, there's something about preaching and, and the Bible open up, and, and it wouldn't matter where, if, if God gets in it, something about just stirring our hearts to want to draw closer to God. There's something that preaching does 
to somebody that loves God. Yes, if, if, if you don't want God, and if, you, if you're here pushed too much for God, and you don't like it, you're not going to like preaching. But I'll tell you what, if, if something in there says, Lord, I want to please you, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do, boy, that preaching, it just doesn't. So, well, Pastor, surely there's times in churches where people don't want it. Yeah, Paul told Timothy, Paul said, preach the word, be instant in season. That's when it's received well and timely. But he also said, Timothy, preach out of season and reprove, that's negative, and rebuke, that's negative, and exhort with all longsuffering. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Paul knew that there would come a day in churches when folks wouldn't want the preaching. They don't want it straight across the plate. Ways they don't want that. Paul said, Timothy, you preach anyway. You just preach anyway because it's preaching that will make a difference in people's lives. And although some in a church, when it's under attack, so let's, just be, let's just be a little kinder, not to enemies of a church, not to give them a license within a church to turn that church the world's direction. That's not the time to ease up. That's not the time to tip your hat and be kind to that kind of crowd. Enoch was a preacher. And uh, he wasn't the only one. It, again, you're a Jew. Back up just a couple of books to 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. And so in a time when many people don't want God and don't want to be, uh, don't want to be influenced closer, God raises up preachers. Look there in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. 2 Peter 2 and verse 5, And spared not the old world, that's pre-Noah flood, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. That whole time that Noah was building that ark with his sons, he was also preaching. And uh, I think that people laughed at him building the ark, but they didn't like that preaching. They did not like that preaching. So Jude says, first of all, when the church is going through trouble, remember Enoch's setting. Remember, he was just like in his day, just like we are in ours. Second thing he said, remember Enoch's spiritual inclination. There was a day where his life was transformed, just as there should be a day when each of our lives were transformed. And when his life was transformed, he walked a different way. It ought to be true that when we got saved, we walk a different way. So when someone in a church, outside the church, says, why don't you just tone down so that the world will be more accepting? We're not interested in that. Third thing, remember Enoch's sermons. You know, Jude's telling us that when someone's trying to undermine a church, that's not the time to cower and be silent. Instead, that's the time where God needs some Enochs to expose the ungodly, address their ungodliness. And as soon as I say that, some, someone's going to whine and say it's too harsh and it's too unloving. And we should be more kind. 
No, we shouldn't be more kind to the enemies of the church. No, that's not true. We should more kind, be more kind to God. It's his church. And so the third thing is remember Enoch's sermons. Now, folks, either you're defending God and you're against his enemies, or you're defending his enemies. You have to pick. And so the fourth thing, I'm done with this. Look there back in Jude. Jude, verse 15. And so Jude's trying to help us. He said, I'm telling you, as you get closer to the Lord's return, there will be attempts to overturn the old-fashioned faith. There will be attempts to do that. So when it happens, Jude says, remember Enoch. Why would you and I, 5,000 years before us, why would we think of a guy 5,000 years ago? It'll help you. It'll encourage you. Remember his setting. Remember his spiritual inclination. Remember his sermons. I give you the last thing. Look there in verse 15. To execute judgment upon all. So Judah, or Enoch's preaching, he said, the Lord's coming back. And when the Lord comes back, he's going to execute judgment upon all and to convince all their ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so when the Lord comes back, he's going to take care of all that. He's going to make all the wrongs right, and he's going to, he's going to set people. I know where you stood. I know what's... Do you know the fourth thing? Remember Enoch's side. Remember what side Enoch stood on. You say, well, preacher, what do you mean by that? They say, pastor, as clear as Enoch's opinion about the world was, did his preaching accomplish anything? They say, well, preacher, what do you mean? Well, someone say, pastor, did anyone even listen to Enoch's preaching? Mm, that's a good question. Preacher, uh, did any in that ungodly world decide to become more godly because of Enoch? That's a good question. Pastor, did anyone do a 180 turn and, and go to God because of his preaching? Those are all good questions. Do you know we don't have any answers? We have no idea whether Enoch's preaching changed anyone. We don't know. But you know what it did? It let everybody know on whose side Enoch was. Now look at the very end of verse 15. Almost done. Very end of verse 15. I feel like I'm shortchanging it, but almost done. End of verse 15. Hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Who's the him? No, who's the him? God. Enoch was preaching, verse 14, the Lord's coming back. And when the Lord comes back, he's going to judge all the ungodliness and all the hard speeches that people said against God. You know what Enoch said? If nobody's life is changed because of my preaching, at least God knows whose side I'm on. If nobody becomes a believer because of my being out there on the streets, if you would, at least they'll know 
whose side that I'm on. And I'm saying to you, as we get closer and closer to the return of the Lord, it seems that the, it seems, we can't rule out the Spirit of God, but it seems that there's less of an interest in this world to even hear the things of God. Folks, it used to be that, uh, you know, you'd go through some grocery store line and you'd give a gospel tract to uh, uh, the lady who's checking through your stuff. And it seems she'd, she'd take the track. It, it seems when you're at a bank and, and after you did the transaction, both dollars, after you did the transaction that you'd, you'd, slip, you'd slip a track or invite them to church, they'd listen. Folks, I don't know if you've tried that lately. There is just less of an interest in that. Yeah. We're not even up to a door to knock on. Not interested. Well, you don't. You don't. You know why I'm here. I could be here to hand out a million. Not interested. <laughs> oh, I'm interested. Come over to my house. There is less interest. If you're only going to be faithful to get out the word of God because it brings big results, you would have stopped a long time ago. You know what Enoch said. I'm still going to preach whether it changes anybody or not because it lets God know I'm on his side. I'm going to witness whether it seems that anybody is listening or not because at least it let God know whose side and it lets them know whose side I'm on. I'm saying when a church is under attack, the Bible says, remember Enoch's side. Nobody had any questions about Enoch. They all knew the side that he was on. And when you think about this, God taking Enoch up to heaven supernaturally kind of makes Enoch a type of the church. I'm talking now about the body of Christ. You know, one of these days, God's going to take us home to heaven. It's called the rapture. And look, uh, I need you to turn back to Genesis 5 again. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 5. I want you to see the typology here. Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 24. And Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. Now listen, all the rest of those people, it says, and they died. And they died. And they, you know, the only one in that whole chapter didn't die is Enoch. He walked with God. We, we, we've learned there from Jude, he preached. He just preached. Uh, the Lord's coming back. He preached against sin. Preached there was a judgment. He, he exposed the people that are trying to turn believers more like the world. He preached against them. Preached against these. And you know what? As he's doing all that, one day, while he faithfully did what he did, God said, Enoch, you and I have walked every day, every day, every day. At the end of the day, God said, I went to my home, and Enoch, you went to your home. But Enoch, we've been doing this for 300 years now. You've walked with me for 300 years. Enoch, what would you think tonight about instead of you going to your home, you go on a mile. <laughs> God, are you, are you for real? God said, yeah. 
He said, I've been so pleased with you. How about Enoch, you just come home with me tonight. God, there's nothing that make me happier. <sighs> well, the, we read there in Genesis 5 that he had, he had children after he had Methuselah. So I'm going to guess at the end of the day, Mrs. Enoch said to one of the children, where's dad? <laughs> I don't know, mom, you know, you know him. Always walking with God. Well, go find your father. It's time for supper. And they can't find him. And Mrs. Enoch gets just a little bit worried. And those children, they just looked everywhere. They weren't going to find him. Because he's gone home with God. That's exactly what's going to happen to you and me. Folks, that's a picture of the church. One of these days, God's going to say to his, his children, you've been walking with me all this time since you got saved. You want to come home with me? I wish God had asked that today. It wouldn't take a moment to answer that one. God, are you for real? Is it the day? Now, if Enoch is a type of the church that's going to be raptured, then Enoch's life before he was raptured, that's what our life ought to be. Walk with God. Talk with God. Recognize that we're in a world that doesn't care about God. We're going to still keep doing what's right. We're going to still keep preaching. That's what God wants. Everybody knew when Enoch opened his mouth, he was talking about God. He's talking about how good God is. He's talking about how sweet his walk with God is. Everybody knew it. Some of you understand that. Some of you understand what it means to have an intimate time with God. And you try to tell some people what it's like, and they just look at you kind of, are you for real? It was so obvious when Enoch opened his mouth, they knew what side Enoch was on. Now, let me leave you with this. Is it obvious to people on what side you are on? when you open your mouth. They know that man always takes God's side. That woman always takes God's side. And so when someone tries to change the church, what's going to come out of your mouth? Are you going to take God's side? Or are you going to take the world's side? When the church is under attack, Jude said, Church, remember Enoch. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the text. Lord, at first reading, we would scratch our head and wonder why Jude would reach back 3,000 years and mention Enoch. 
Now, Lord, for us, it's, it's 5,000 years. Why would we, when our church, as every other church, when we're under attack, when there are voices that are trying to change the church, God, why would we remember a man 5,000 years ago? Lord, help us to remember Enoch's setting. He, he was in a, his dispensation almost near the end of it. Few people cared about God. That's where we're at. We're to remember Enoch's spiritual inclination. He didn't care what the world wanted. All he cared was what God wanted. Lord, we're to remember Enoch's sermons. You preach on the Lord's coming back. He preached on sin and ungodliness. Preached on judgment to come. And he preached against those that attacked the church. And Lord, finally we remember Enoch's side. It was so clear. Every time he opened his mouth, what side he was on. Lord, help that to be true for us. Lord, whether our preaching, our witnessing, our track passing, our scripture sign holding, whether that makes a difference in anyone's life, and we believe it does, but whether it does or not, it's right to do. Because that's putting us on God's side. Help us to be on God's side. 